Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Welcome to Vox Church. Amen. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for being with us today. We always like to take a minute and say hello to all of our locations. So if you're new to Vox, this might feel a little weird to you. But Vox is one church in nine different locations. And so right now in Hartford, in Middletown, in Greater Bridgeport, Greater Stanford, Worcester, Springfield, North Haven, Branford, can we say good morning to everybody? We love you. If you're online, God bless you. Come on, you can do a little better than that. Good morning, Worcester. Good morning, Hartford. We love you. Love our leaders, our pastors at every one of our locations there. Listen, if you're new at any of our locations today, make sure you connect with one of our leaders there. We'd love to meet you and, uh, and just, uh, just learn a little bit about your story, connect with you a little bit. But listen, friends, I don't know if you were a part of our services last week, but 165 people got baptized on Sunday morning last week all across our locations. 165 people. Wow, I don't know if you remember, we had like 80-something signed up, and then God just began to move, and you're like, dang, are the services always that long? No, they're not always that long, all right? But I have to confess that I haven't preached in a few weeks, so they might be that long today, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. It won't be that long, but, but it just went and went and went because people just kept getting baptized, and you know what? A couple times a year, I think that's appropriate, right? I know you got somewhere to be, but uh, you know, revival's not convenient, and so... Uh, and so it's just, it's just been amazing. But today we'll be in the book of Acts chapter 10. We're going to read a story that uh, is just so important for us understanding who the, uh, who the Lord is and how he wants us to live in this world. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read sort of the end of the story, and then we're going to go back through the story throughout the sermon today. But we're going to start in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Acts, written by Luke, one of the early church leaders, and he's describing what happened after Jesus rose from the grave and the church began to expand all across the world. And so right now we're right in the middle of a story where Peter is meeting in the home of a man named Cornelius. He says this, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Turn to that person next to you and say, he even loves the Gentiles. The Lord even loves the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. I want to speak just for a few minutes today under the heading, A People in Process. A People in Process. Would you pray with me at all of our locations? Let's open our hearts to God. Lord, we love you. I know that you have brought us each year under unique circumstances, and yet you are the one who can speak to each of our hearts in a unique way. And so I pray a blessing today over every single person at every one of our locations. Lord, would your blessing rest upon your people today? And would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might see you as we haven't been able to ever see you before? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A people in process. I was praying about our church praying about this series that we've been in, this Love Like Jesus series. If you've been with us all, this, all summer long, we've been talking about how do we become people who love like Jesus? And, and it really is a process, right? It's a process that little by little we grow and we change. And we've been looking at all different elements of what it means to love like Jesus. And so there's been talk about missionaries in Turkey and in Lebanon, if you were with us all the way back in June. And then we looked at the poor and the orphan and what does it mean to value human life? What does it mean to forgive those who have wronged us? What does it mean to have a family that loves like Jesus. All these different parts of the process. And I want to tell you that underneath all of these topics, there's a bigger vision. And it is a vision that we would be a church that is growing. A church that grows in the way we see the world, grows in the way we see God, that we embrace what I would call a growth 
mindset. A mindset that says, you know, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. You know what I'm saying? I'm going somewhere. I'm heading somewhere. Go ahead and tell the person next to you, I'm heading somewhere. Come on, tell them, I am. I'm heading somewhere. I'm not who I was five years ago. I'm not who I was 10 years ago. I'm not even who I was six months ago. God is growing in me. And I think that sometimes we avoid growth. Sometimes we don't like process, right? Process slows us down. Process seems to take too long. A number of weeks ago, I shared about a car accident I had early this year, and, uh, and I'm getting the car fixed. I'm calling the insurance, and I'm, I'm saying, hey, you know, when, do we, when does that check show up to pay for all the damages and everything? And they said, oh, Mr. Kendrick, oh, yeah, your claim is in process, right? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to hear that. That means it's sitting on a you know, desk somewhere, buried. It's in process, right? I'm like, well, how do we expedite? How do we expedite the process? And I think there are probably a lot of us here that we're trying right now to expedite the process, right? It might be in a relationship. You're trying to expedite that process and get him to say, will you marry me, right? Or it might be in a job. You're saying, hey, I'd like to expedite that process, and how do I get into management, right? Or in school, like I'd like to expedite the process and finish up this degree so I can move on to the next thing. We're always trying to expedite. But I think God works in our lives primarily through a progression, Primarily through, little by little, inch by inch, thought by thought, changing the way we think. And so many times, we don't realize that we've embraced what I would call a comfort mindset instead of a growth mindset. And a comfort mindset says, I'm just fine the way I am. A comfort mind says, don't disrupt my equilibrium. A comfort mindset says, I already figured things out. Which, by the way, is not true. Just ask your friends, right? You haven't figured everything out. You haven't figured it all out. And yet sometimes that's how we operate. I remember years ago, I was talking with a young man who had uh, just gotten into a serious dating relationship. He was very excited about it. He was like, maybe this is the girl that I'm going to marry. I don't know. And, and I just started to say, you know, I said, listen, man, I just want to let you know, you know, um, you know, dating can be complicated. It can be challenging. I was trying to give this young man some advice, you know, and he looked at me. He said, Justin, listen, I've got sisters. I understand women. And I thought, well, that's the end of that relationship, right? And it was, it was, it didn't last very long. You know, that's just the way it goes. When you think you've arrived, oh man, God has to show you how little you truly do know, right? And Romans chapter 12 tells us how the process works. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? In other words, your brain establishes patterns, dysfunctional patterns of thought. This is how I think about this. This is how I think about that. This is how I see this. This is how I see that. And the way God changes us is by getting into that pattern and rewriting it. The way God changes us is intercepting those thoughts and then redirecting them in a way that aligns with the truth of the gospel. And so a Christian, by definition, is a person in process. We don't arrive. We haven't gotten there. Even the Apostle Paul, who was pretty spiritual, you know, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I've not obtained this. I am not yet there. I am still in process. I'm in process. And so that's the mindset that we have to embrace as followers of Jesus, that we are people in process. And so in Acts chapter 10, we get a picture of God's process in the lives of believers and specifically in the birth of his church. Because up until Acts 10, the only people who were hearing about the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ were Jews, all right? It was the Jews that began the move of the Spirit of God, right? And it was the Jews that were hearing about the gospel. But this story that we're going to get into between Peter and Cornelius, and some of you may know it, was really a pivot point in history. It was the moment where God introduced the truth of his grace to every race, every background, every ethnicity, tying us together under the good news of Jesus. And so in order to understand God's big vision, we need a little history lesson, okay? And so stay with me today. We're going to go back in time, just walk through the Bible, starting with Genesis chapter 1, all right? If you're like, where's that? That's the beginning, right? And so what we're told in the beginning of the Bible is that God creates the heavens and the earth, that the creator God made everything good, that humanity is good, that the earth is good, but something tragic happened, and that's something the Bible calls sin. We embraced a life of sin, allowing sin to get into us and into the world, and the result is corruption. Our communion with the everlasting God is severed, and the result of sin is rather than seeking God, the first 
inclination of the human heart becomes self-exaltation. And so I'm looking to promote myself, find my purpose, find my meaning, find my peace through my self-effort and my own accomplishment. And this becomes the default setting of the heart. Now in Genesis chapter 11, just a few chapters into the story, we hear about how humanity seeks to unite under the banner of independence from God. And the human race builds this great tower. And the purpose or the symbol of the tower was we don't need God at the center of our lives. And God in his mercy knows that when we live that way, it actually kills us. That's a word for somebody. When you live without God at the center of your life, it actually ends up killing you and the freedom that you thought would be so free ends up being slavery. And so God in his judgment divides the people. And so judgment for the sin of self-promotion is this division, okay? And the people separate into all these little silos because God at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 confuses, we're told, their languages, an intriguing story. But rather than coming back to God in that moment, repenting of their sin, the people instead segregate further. And so they begin to set up these little groups. And this group goes this way. And this group goes that way. And instead of trying to understand each other, they use their differences to promote their group over the other. Remember, we have to be transformed by the renewal of our minds that the problem is the pattern, right? And so the pattern that begins to become established in human culture is that I look out for my group, always seeking to push my group to the top. And we've been building towers ever since. And so this pattern forms of us versus them, in-group, out-group. And we divide over background, over culture, over preference, over race. Now, while we were busy dividing, God was orchestrating a secret plan. And he began his secret plan by calling one very old man named Abraham to leave his homeland because God promised that he would establish through him a people. And that people would become a nation. And that nation would bring forth a savior. And that savior would deal with the root of all the division that had kept humanity separate for so long. That heart of sin that sought self-exaltation over submission to God. That constantly sought to promote self and gain control. And so Jesus Christ comes as the seed of Abraham, the one coming forth from Israel, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross so that God in heaven could see his life as the fulfillment of your requirement for righteousness. And when Christ died on the cross, a great exchange took place where God took all the sins that you commit in your life and emptied them in judgment upon Christ so that God could take all Christ's righteousness and empty it in mercy upon you. And so in that moment, the kindness of God was introduced to all who believe, not on the merits of your own deeds, but on the merits of Christ's deeds, reuniting through that sacrifice, giving us grace, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people connected, not on the basis of our accomplishment and pride, but rather on the basis of our humility and surrender, right? It's been a few weeks, so I got a little bit in me, right? The middle section here, got it. And so the church becomes the outgrowth, the outcropping of this new people, this new humanity, this new people group, this new race, you could say. And God always intended to show his heart and a glimpse of what's to come in eternity through the church, revealing that it was always God's purpose that through salvation, all the races will be brought back together. One glorious, beautiful tapestry united under Jesus. But he does it through a process. And that's what we start to see in the text. It begins with 120 Jews in an upper room. If you know the story of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls upon 120 Jews in an upper room. Now, if you know that story, I don't know if you ever noticed, it's actually the great reversal of the Tower of Babel, that where judgment came because of pride and separated people by different languages, so at the upper room, righteousness comes because of grace and unites people through one spiritual language, right? And so this new humanity begins, and then we're told that it spreads to the Samaritans. And if you know your history, Samaritans were a mixed race. They were half Jew, half Gentile mixed together, and so it spreads to the Samaritans. So the psychological process for the Jews is now being stretched, where God loves the Jews because they were his chosen people from the seed of Abraham, brought forth the Messiah, but now they go, wow, the Samaritans are included in God's plan. And then an Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith in Christ, but that Ethiopian eunuch was a Jewish convert, so psychologically they're like, oh, I guess that's okay. But now we get to Acts chapter 10, and it's where the gospel explodes across 
across the non-Jewish world. And if you're here today and you're not a Jew and I'm not a Jew, you should be grateful for Acts chapter 10 because it really is the beginning of the church, the worldwide church, that it was always God's intention and plan to unite all people groups under the banner of grace. And so God chooses the very first person to open their life to Christ who is not of Jewish descent, and it's an Italian soldier named Cornelius. And all the Italians say amen, right? No, 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 don't say amen. No, I was, no, that was the whole point is that he chose everyone. That's all right, I set you up for that. Anyways, it's important. You're all the time. like, yeah, we got chosen. No, man, no. That's the whole point. So it wasn't. All right. Anyways, he, le he lived in Caesarea. Okay, you need a little history here. Caesarea is an important area because Caesarea is the city that was the center of life for the Romans in Judea. It was the Roman capital of Judea. And this was the place where it would be seen as the seat of oppression of Roman rule. you got to remember that the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans in this time, right? And so here is a Roman soldier in the capital in Caesarea. It would be the last place that Peter would want to go. Cornelius was a wealthy soldier. He was a centurion, and so he was well-to-do. He was getting paid by Jewish taxes, right? Just think about the tensions here. That's Peter had spent his whole life watching these Romans get rich off of his people's money. And so this is the tension that Peter's walking into. And it's in this story that an angel visits this man named Cornelius. And the angel tells him to go get Peter, who is in a little town called Joppa. Okay, And so he sends three men to Joppa to find Peter. And at that time, Peter's praying on the roof. And he's up on the roof praying at this house of his friend's, his friend's house. And he's up there praying, and God gives him a vision. It's super weird. We're not going to read it all. Okay, But the, in this vision, Peter sees all these animals that the Jews were told not to eat. And God speaks to him in the vision and he says, now, Peter, you can rise and eat. And Peter is very, very confused. He's going, wait a minute. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. What, what's going on? And it's through this interaction, this vision, this interaction later between Peter and Cornelius that God begins to unite his church and break down the differences between people groups. And as we study this text, what we're going to find is a template for how God seeks to unite his church right now. So I want to dig into it today. We're going to pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 10. Stay with me. It says this, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is the vision that Peter sees. And Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. By the way, uh, it's a good idea to genuinely not say to God, uh, No way, God. Right? It's just a... <laughs> general rule. And a voice came from him. Again, you think Peter would have learned that by now if you know Peter's story, but you know he's about as, uh, as hard-headed as many of us are. And he says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 16, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. By the way, those that are a little bit more familiar with the Bible, if you know that uh, three times means a lot to Peter, right? Because he denied the Lord three times, right? And then Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me three times? And so here we have God using Peter's story to connect to Peter's future, right? And he'll do the same thing with you, by the way. He uses is your past to connect you to what he's calling you to. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision might mean, he's completely confused, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, we have to understand, friends, that there's an internal crisis that is occurring in the life of Peter during this text. First, he's being told two things that he's very, very uncomfortable with that stretch him beyond what he thinks he should do. The first one is these dietary rules that the Jews were called to follow, right? God is showing him all these animals, and he's saying, you can eat these now. And he's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought as a Jew I couldn't eat these things. Why can I now eat them? See, God originally introduced these dietary laws for a purpose. The purpose was to set Israel apart in preparation for a coming Savior. It was a picture to teach Israel that they were unclean and in need of God. But Jesus had come. He had obeyed all of these laws, fulfilled their requirement, made us clean through his sacrifice. So now the purpose of those dietary laws was made complete, and they were no longer responsible to fulfill them. And so Peter's starting to get this a little bit. He's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. Are you saying 
Bacon? Is that what you're saying? Like, is that really what's happening right now? And that is what was happening. Glory to God, right? And so, so it's a big deal. And just as Peter is starting to understand that it's like, whoa, this is going to be good, then there's a knock on the door. And the second thing that makes him uncomfortable happens. Some Gentiles show up at his house. Now, for a good Jew, they weren't supposed to go with Gentiles, associate with Gentiles. They shouldn't even shake a Gentile's hand, let alone go to a Gentile's home. And the Spirit says to him, hey, Pete, you got to go with these guys. And so Peter is very confused, right? He's, we're told, inwardly perplexed. God is disrupting his equilibrium. God is exposing some of his false assumptions. And that's exactly what he needs to do in us. That if we are to grow in the process of unity that God has for the church and truly love like Jesus, then the first step in the process, I'm going to give you three today from the story. Number one is that God leads us through inner confusion. Turn to that person next to you and say, I don't like being confused. I don't like being confused. God leads us through inner confusion. I want to tell you right now, it's so funny. A lot of times Christians think that once you come to God, everything's going to make sense. Newsflash, right? He's smarter than you. And God doesn't feel obligated to explain himself. That's just one of the things you find out about God is he doesn't always tell you why. He doesn't. He doesn't always tell you why. And so sometimes you're going to read a Bible verse and go, that makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes you're going to pray a prayer and the opposite of what you prayed is going to happen. Sometimes you're going to trust God for something and it is not going to go at all the way you expect. You will, if you are a genuine follower of Christ, be led into inner confusion. Now, there's a few options that you have when you feel that way. You can ignore it, you can avoid it, or you can lean into it. You can lean into it. And this is what so many of us don't do, is we live in a world that as soon as we have inner confusion, we immediately retreat back to our corners, right? This is how the world works. And so, right, you think about the world and how we interact racially, right? The different people groups, the different races. you got one group that might be saying, well, I don't know why those people are so upset. And then you got another group of saying, I don't know why those people can't see all the injustice around us. And you go back and forth and back and forth. And rather than trying to understand, rather than leaning in, it's the tendency within our culture to run backwards, to run back to what's comfortable, to run back to what I know. But Peter is being pushed here. And God is showing him that underneath the surface of his heart, he's been operating from an us versus them mentality. He's received Christ. He's a believer in Christ. He's the leader of the church. And yet deep in his heart, he still sees the Jews and the non-Jews as two separate groups. And the Jews are a little bit more worthy and the non-Jews are a little bit less worthy. And I want to suggest to you today that this story is not in the Bible just to expose Peter's problems. It's in the Bible to expose yours. Not mine, I don't have any, but yours. <laughs> it's intended to reveal something about us. It's intended to reveal that we don't know our hearts quite as well as we think we do. We don't know our hearts quite as well as we think we do. That underneath the surface of our life, there are some unexpected discoveries that we must find. Some things underneath the surface. I don't know if you've been following this, uh, this, the stories coming out about Lake Mead, 30 miles outside of Las Vegas, right? These stories keep coming up. They keep hitting the news cycle if you've seen them. But uh, the water levels in Lake Mead are consistently receding over the last number of months and years. And as the water levels recede at Lake Mead, 30 miles outside of Las Vegas, they keep finding uh, dead bodies. They keep finding dead bodies. They, keep find they just found a person in a barrel with a gunshot wound in their head who had been there for decades. And uh, these bodies keep popping up, and they're realizing that this has been probably a very uh, popular dumping place for the mob for years and years and years. But the bodies were hidden under the water, and nobody even knew they were there. And see, what we have to understand is that the human heart is a lot like Lake Mead. That underneath the surface of our lives, there's some things that we have been hiding, some things that we're not even aware of, some uh, uh, offenses, some assumptions, some fears, some bias, some things that we don't even know is there, but it's there and we can't see it. I love what Russian philosopher Dostoevsky said many years ago. He said, every man has reminiscences which he would not tell to everyone, but only his friends. He has other matters in his mind which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself in that in secret. I would say that's true, but here's the part we often miss. But there are other things which a man is afraid to tell even himself. And every decent man has a number of such things stored away in his mind. See, nobody knew there were bodies underneath the surface at Lake Mead, and nobody knew 
in Peter's life that there were some things keeping him from ever believing that God could save the Gentiles. And so God has to lead Peter into some inner confusion and some frustration before he can see what's really going on in his own heart. A number of months ago, uh, Chrissy and I had the opportunity to go to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And we spent over three hours just walking through the Holocaust Museum, reading the letters, looking at the photographs, uh, just uh, learning the stories of individual lives who had, who had died during the Holocaust. And, you know, six million people, the more time you spend in a place like that, where you have to see front and center what's really happening and what really has happened in the world, uh, it's overwhelming. And, and there, were, there were a number of times throughout the, 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 uh, the experience that you know, both of us were just absolutely overwhelmed. But this one question kept coming up as we spent time in this museum. And it's, just the, it's the question I think most people ask as you explore or examine the Holocaust, and it's how could this happen? I mean, how could this happen in our modern times, in the last hundred years? How could something like this, how could the extermination of six million people in an in a industrialized nation with people all around us that see it and know it, how, how could this happen? How, how could this happen? How could people justify this? How could people go along with this? How could this happen? And I want to tell you today that there's really only two options for understanding how something like that could happen. Option one is to believe that some people are just that evil. Okay, that's the more popular option, by the way. You think, how could the Holocaust ever occur? Well, some people are just that evil. Some people are just that evil, and the Nazis were that evil. Hitler was that evil. It was so terrible. Some people are just that evil. That's kind of where most of us land. We may not say that out loud, but that's oftentimes the way that we think about tragedies like that. Some people are just that evil. Now, I want to expose the underlying issue with that conviction. Now, if you believe that some people are just that evil, then the next step that you need to take is that they're a little less good than you, a little less human, a little less worthy, a little less right. And so some people are evil while other people could never do things like that. And when you begin to think that way, guess what? You have now embraced the exact philosophy that led to the Holocaust in the first place. And so is it really that some people are just that evil? Because option two is even more terrifying and it's that all people all people underneath the surface have something going on. All people are capable of unthinkable evil. All people with the right circumstances and pressure, it is possible for all people to justify, for all people to look the other way, for all people to do things that they would say they would never do. And so God must lead us to begin to question our own sense of goodness and see in ourselves a glimpse of the darkness that exists because of sin and the potential that you have to destroy the best things in your life. This is what philosopher or uh, theologian John Owen said many years ago. He said, the seed of every sin is in every heart. I wonder if you believe that, because that is a life-changing truth. The seed of every sin is in every heart, and so God brings us through this process. We're talking about a people in process, a process where he has to humble us. He has to make us feel uncomfortable, where we have to realize, you know, I'm not above this all. I'm not above prejudging people. I'm not above making assumptions. I'm not above holding these things against that people or this group. I'm not above entertaining those things in the back of my mind. I'm not above this. You know, when Peter was up on that roof, in Joppa, he had a beautiful view of the Mediterranean Sea. It's gorgeous. Beautiful view of the sea. And it would have been so easy for him in that moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to him and say, Peter, go with these men to Cornelius, to Caesarea, to all these places you don't want to go. He could have been like, mm, pass. Pass. I don't want to do that. I'm going to stay up here and get a tan. It's comfortable up here. It's nice. I'm going to stay up here. And I think a lot of us stay on the roof. A lot of us stay on the roof because it's just so much easier. It's just so much easier than coming down and dealing with the crazy that is life. And I want to urge you today, don't stay on the roof. Don't stay on the roof. But engage this. Struggle with it. It will force you into some inner confusion. But Peter goes down. I want to show you in verse 21. It, told, it tells us, and Peter went down to the men. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. What reason what is the reason for your coming? I love how confident and clueless he is at the same time. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, as well spoken of by the old Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be uh, in to be his guests. The next day he rose, went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was 
expecting them, had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Clearly, Cornelius is a little confused. Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. (laughs) Stand up, man. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Check this out. Look at Peter the learner. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See how Peter's connecting the vision of the uh, food with the call? So God's speaking to him. He's starting to put the dots together. And he says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. I love this. Because Peter's starting to put the pieces together, but he's still pretty clueless. Something has to happen, right? He still doesn't get Peter, the whole world, gets to receive the gospel. Like, he still doesn't see it. He's still stuck in his little mindset. And so God has to lead him along the process. And it began with this inner confusion, but now he's calling him to the second step. And the second step in this process of unity, in this process of becoming the people of God, is God connects us with an unlikely relationship. An unlikely relationship. Now, you just have to picture this. Peter's a a Jewish fisherman, okay? And Cornelius is a Roman centurion. They are the odd couple of all odd couples, right? They should not be hanging out in the same house for a million different reasons. But something changes when Peter enters Cornelius' home. Something changes when he begins to look around and see the pictures of his family on the wall and begin to play with his little dog, uh, you know, Nero, whatever his name was, you know, and, and like all the different, you know, all the different elements of, of, of like, of, of life that he begins to see. All of a sudden, no longer is Cornelius a profile, Roman centurion. He becomes a person. That's Cornelius. I know him. I've been to his house. I've hung out with him. Something starts to change. Have you ever felt that before? Where you connect in an unlikely relationship and it begins to assault some of the assumptions you had made? It begins to change the way you saw things, change the way you thought about things. Years ago, I had opportunity to do some ministry in Kigali, Rwanda. And while I was there, I met Pastor Frank. And I went to his house. We had dinner. And, and I met his wife, his kids. And we had a lot of fun. And we're just, we're just talking and getting to know each other. And, and we were kind of same stage of life, younger kids. And, and, and Frank had grown up during the genocide in Rwanda in the 1990s, a, a terrible time. In 100 days, over 500,000 people died. And just a terrible time in the history of that nation. And, and he starts telling me about his childhood growing up in a refugee camp in Uganda. Okay, Now, I grew up. <laughs> in New England, you know, it was like a little different, you know, and so I'm learning his story and everything else, and I'm listening, and, and my worldview is being stretched, it's just a completely different experience, and I, I finally just asked him, I said, Pastor Frank, how, how old were you during the genocide? He got really quiet, I was like, well, that's awkward, um, I said, well, Pastor Frank, how old are you now? He said, I'm between the ages of 38 and 44. And at first I didn't get it. I was like, are we playing a game? Are we guessing? <laughs> Pastor Frank didn't know how old he was. He didn't know when his birthday was. Because no one in his life as a child knew. And, and, and my mind just started to stretch. I was like, there are people who don't know when their birthdays are in the world? <laughs> that's, that's real? I mean, for me, I, I never even, at the time, never even thought about that. And then Pastor Frank started telling me about how Jesus was introduced to him as a young man and how the entire trajectory of his life changed, how God led him out of poverty, how God favored him and guided him through an education, how God opened up his life and changed his heart, how God led him to his wife and transformed his whole world and how now he was leading this powerful church and it was all because God had intervened and changed him as a young man. Even before he was looking for God, God was looking for him. And as Pastor Frank started to tell his story, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your story is not that different from my story, even though your story was in a refugee camp in Uganda and my story was hanging out in New Haven. And, and it's just like, this is a very different experience. And yet somehow it's the same experience because the root of the story is based on grace, how Jesus saves a soul, how Jesus transforms a life, how it's possible to be changed, how God meets you right where you are. And all of a sudden, in this supernatural, invisible way, my heart and Pastor Frank's heart started to knit together, started to be tied together. And this is how God grows his church by tying different people together, unlikely relationships, allowing us to see him in different ways through different people and expanding our perspective in the process. Come on, somebody. Say amen. 
And that's what he wants to do in you. He's got to lead you through some inner confusion, and then he's got to start connecting you with some unlikely relations. Look around at this church right now. God is doing it. If you look at this, I mean, you've got professors, and you've got those that two months ago were homeless. You've got somebody who just got free from addiction, and somebody who has more degrees than Fahrenheit. You've got all these different people in the same room, right? And God's at work. He's tying hearts together. He's tying lives together. He's doing something supernatural in his church still. At Vox, we have what we call our perspectives team. And our perspective team is a group of leaders from the church, different backgrounds, different races. The goal is to really establish biblical unity through an intentional conversation, relationship, initiative. Some of you know McKeeve. McKeeve leads our perspectives team. I asked her to just shoot a quick video about some of the things that are coming up that our perspectives team is a part of and is leading. And so we're going to take a minute together at all of our locations and listen to McKeeve today. Hello, my name is McKeeve Regis and I'm the Women's Connections Director at the Hartford campus and I also help lead up the Perspectives team. Some of you may be wondering, what is Perspectives team? Well, we are a team that ensures that all aspects of ministry and leadership here at Vox is a direct representation of our church. Take a look around you. Yeah, look at the diversity, the beauty of that. So we want to ensure that we're having conversations around racial reconciliation. So we have these four components for the Perspectives team. One is awareness, the other is leadership, partnerships, and perspectives. And we are excited. Guys, we're so excited for the two initiatives that we have in store for you. First is the Celebration of Cultures, and that is happening tonight at 4 p.m. at the Brantford office come out and celebrate with us. We're gonna have amazing food, fun music, and worship. And then on August 29th, we're going to start a racial reconciliation, unity, um, and engagement conversation with Living Undivided. We get to partner up with them to go through this curriculum. It's for six weeks, six Mondays in a row, starting on August 29th from 6 to 8 p.m. via Zoom. You can even tune in from your bedroom, okay? So we'd love to have you join us. And I wanna say this, this work has not always been easy. It can be challenging, fear comes up, insecurities come up, but I want you to be assured that we're all in this together. And it's not about the destination where we're gonna get to, but it's about the process, it's what God is doing in and through us via the journey as a people and process. Amen. So listen, I just encourage you, every one of our locations, I know for Worcester, I know for Stanford, it's a drive, I get that. Uh, 4 p.m. at our Brainford location, we would love you to be a part of it if you can. Today's going to be a blast. And then Living Undivided, that will fill up, so I encourage you to jump on the website. If you just uh, search for Living Undivided in the events, it'll pop right up, and that's going to be an incredible class that meets six weeks and uh, it's just going to be awesome. Continue to grow. And so what we see is Peter's going through this process, right? It begins with inner confusion, and God leads him through that. And then he ties Peter to this unlikely relationship in Cornelius. And then the story continues, and we see that God isn't done with Peter. Verse 29, he says, So I was sent for, and I came without objection, and I asked why you sent for me. So Peter is still not really sure what's going on. And I love Cornelius' uh, response because it just shows that everyone here is clueless. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. This is the angel. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter, who's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. A little confusing. Everybody seems to have the same name. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter's like, why am I here? And Cornelius is like, well, I was told to get you so that you could tell us something. Well, what am I supposed to tell you? Well, the angel said to get you so that he could tell us something through you that you needed to tell us about something. Well, what am I supposed to tell you? Well, you tell me. What's your message? Like, what's your big, what's your big thing? Like, what have you been talking about? You know, can you tell me? And he's like, well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. Well, I think the angel wanted you to share. So it's going back and forth. And then verse 34, it finally comes to breakthrough. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no 
partiality. Come on, somebody say amen. He finally got it. He finally got it truly. Now I understand. God doesn't see people by race. He doesn't see people by culture. He doesn't see people by ethnicity. All people are welcome to come. It's always been his plan for a worldwide church. It's always been his plan for a diverse church. It's always been his plan to unite different people together and to allow that to be the testimony of grace because it's impossible otherwise, but possible with him. And so he says, wow, now I understand. And I like that because that word understand doesn't mean what we think it means. See, in our postmodern 2022 way of thinking, we think of understand as a cognitive conception. I have grasped this truth. I have learned this piece of information, but that's not what the Greek word means. It's a mean that it's a word that means I've been ambushed. I've been overtaken. Now I've been overtaken by a truth. It's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 9 when the boy who is demon-possessed is overtaken by the demon. It's the same word that is used in John chapter 8 where the woman who gets caught in adultery is overtaken by the Jewish leaders and brought before Jesus. And so it means to be ambushed. In other words, he didn't figure it out himself. It was God who led him all along and surprised him with the glorious truth that his way of thinking is higher than our ways. And so Peter started to grasp the depth of his own sin and the grace of God and how God unites us through that grace and how diverse relationships allow us to see God in different ways and how the church is called to be a glimpse of heaven. And so it's a supernatural work. It's a miraculous work where different people from different backgrounds actually begin to trust each other, actually begin to love each other, actually begin to stretch on beyond our little blocks. And so Peter and Cornelius link arms. But check this out. You have to understand, Peter and Cornelius didn't agree on everything. If you ask them about Roman taxation, or if you ask them about the authority of the state, or if you ask them about property rights for the Jews, they probably wouldn't agree about everything. They probably wouldn't have agreed about every little nuance of their world, but they knew, they understood that the blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to unite people with different perspectives and different backgrounds under the one single banner of grace. And this is the third piece in the puzzle as we grow together as one church. Number three, God reveals us to us a new perspective, a new perspective, a new point of view in the world. What is this new perspective? That I am a person in process, that I don't even see myself fully and clearly. I have not arrived. I've got some blind spots. In my heart, there is the potential for all kinds of sin, and that's humbling. But at the same time, God is changing me. I'm not who I need to be, but I'm not who I was. And unity is actually possible because the God of eternity has stepped into the process with us. That the God who was far away because of our sin has been brought near because of his grace. He entered our inner confusion through Jesus Christ. He lived as a man, misunderstood, overlooked, and betrayed. And then through his death and his resurrection, he offers grace to all people, forging an unlikely relationship between God and humanity. And that unlikely relationship releases the power of the Holy Spirit in my life who teaches me and guides me into all truth, allowing me to cultivate day by day, hour by by hour through humility and faith a new perspective and so now it's possible for the old and the young the black and the white the hispanic and the asian the democrat the republican the american the foreigner the rich and the poor to all come under this banner of grace and surrender their lives to jesus christ and experience his power and grow a church that doesn't look like one side of the tracks but looks a lot like heaven come on somebody say amen If it were up to you and me, it would be hopeless. But we read in Philippians 2, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen. Amen. So I got a vision, church. I got a vision of a people in process. I got a vision of a growing community. And that means that I got to grow. That means that you got to grow. That means that together we got to grow. He's changing you. He's stretching you. He's pushing you. He's challenging you. He's he's pulling you beyond your comfort zone. And you don't have to be perfect. That's good news. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be in process. See, we often think that that it's going to be our perfection as a church that's going to make us beautiful to the world and show the glory of Christ. But I want to challenge that idea. I I, I don't believe that it is our perfection. Oh, this little perfect church. Um, 
I don't think that's how it works. I think it's actually our imperfection that makes God's perfection even more beautiful. I love the way it's said in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God. And it's not from ourselves. It makes it clear that this great power is from God. It's not from ourselves. I've become convinced that God is not best revealed through perfect people. God is revealed through a people in process. That when we understand that we haven't arrived, that when we walk humbly, but also confident in the grace and the kindness of God, we can begin to reveal to the world a God who invites every person to come to him. So I want to challenge you, encourage you today to embrace a growth mindset. Embrace a growth mindset. You know, this fall, you're going to be hearing a lot about this. So excited. We're going to be taking nine weeks walking through a series called The Sacred Us. Really asking ourselves, what does it mean to be biblical community? Not just a church. The Sacred Us is more than an institution or an organization. The Sacred Us is family. It's the people of God whose hearts are knit together, not in this little plastic perfect bubble, but in a messy, sloppy, challenging, difficult, glorious, beautiful relationship. And we're going deeper, and it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural because our culture says, no, no, I'm all about me, and I'm all about mine. And, and, and the, the body of Christ challenges that perspective and says, uh, actually, we're all about God, and we're all about us. We're all about serving each other, honoring one another, loving our neighbor, going above and beyond. This is the life of Jesus. <laughs> And the secret to it all is that when you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you'll give your life away for him and his purpose, you'll find it. And so his goal is not to rob you of your life, but in rather to lead you to it. It's just not the way you thought it would be. It's not the path you thought it would be. And so I just want to challenge you to engage in the process. To engage in the process and to take on a growth mindset and say, you know what? I need to build some relationships with people who don't have the exact same background as I do. I need to um, learn. I need to be a student of others. I need to stretch my point of view, and I need to be humble enough to listen. I need to celebrate the differences in our backgrounds and our culture and realize that Jesus really does change all of us into the image of his son uniquely through his spirit. At every one of our locations, I just want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray today. And if you would, just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. And take this opportunity for some personal reflection. And I just want to speak to two types of people here. The first is the individual who is far from God today. Maybe you're visiting, came with a friend, or maybe you've been many, many times to church. But you've not placed your faith in Christ. You've not found the peace that surpasses all understanding. You're far from God. And you don't have peace with God. And it's because God is calling you to a place of trust. You need to take a step of faith. It's not a blind step of faith. It's an informed step of faith. That there is in fact a God who has revealed himself. And he loves you. He loves you. This is the most important news your heart will ever hear. That there is a God who loves you. And he is calling you now to himself. See the truth is that God loves you so much. That he sent Christ. To be the perfect representation for humanity so that the sin that separates you from God could be washed away in the cross. And when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he was thinking about you. He already saw your life beginning to end. He saw every selfish, proud, lustful, greedy, unbelieving thing you would ever do. He had calculated up the debt of your sin and then paid for it with his life. When God the Father saw his son on the cross, he saw your sin. And all your debt was paid through the perfect life of Christ so that you could receive forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Jesus Christ proved that the story is true when he rose from the dead, offering new life to all those who believe. You will live for eternity with God. You will have peace even now. He'll walk with you. He'll guide you. If you're here today at any one of our locations and you don't have peace with God, I want to urge you, place your faith in Christ. Turn to him now. Open your life to him. 
Open your heart to him. Give him control. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just a simple prayer. So right now, with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, is God speaking to you? The Bible tells us that deep calls unto deep. That something deep on the inside of you, deeper than emotion, deeper than intellect, calls to you. That's the spirit of God himself. Calling to your spirit to trust Christ. You might say, well, all my questions aren't answered. I want to just, I want to tell you that none of, there's never going to be an instance where all your questions are answered. That's not how it works. God gets to be God. You don't get to be God. And that means that he doesn't always answer all our questions. But he'll guide you. He'll lead you. And so right here, right now, I want to lead you to a point of decision. I want to invite you, if you're here, at any one of our locations in North Haven, in Hartford, in Middletown, right here in Brantford, you're saying, Justin, I've been far from God, and today I need, to, I need to turn to him. A little moment of courage. Your step of faith today will be represented by just simply lifting your hand. I want to invite you to do that right now. If you say, that's me. I've not been right with God, and today I need to turn to him. Let that be your symbol. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. That's my symbol of, of faith. I'm turning to Christ right now. I'm turning to him right now. I'm inviting him to wash away my sin and give me peace with God to be the Lord of my life. You may put your hands down. Anybody else at all of our locations, you say, that's me. That's me. Today's my day. Today's my day. I need to open my life to Christ. I need to turn my life over to him. The spirit of the Lord is here right now calling you home. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of confession. And I invite you to whisper this prayer to God today. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Just whisper it to him. Jesus, come into my life. Today I surrender. I believe you died and rose again. I put my hope in you. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I trust you right now. Thank you for giving me peace. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. I pray for every person that right now is turning to Christ. I pray that this would in fact be that turning point moment of faith, that even now in this moment, your peace would fill them. Even now in this moment, they would sense an assurance that their life belongs to you, that you've heard their prayer of faith and that they are in fact saved by grace. Holy Spirit, come even now. Minister to your people in ways beyond words. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to speak to a second type of person. And that is that you are here. And if you're honest, you've been spending a little bit too much time on that roof. Too much time in what's comfortable. Not enough time in stretching. You look around and you see that pretty much everybody in your life looks and thinks a whole lot like you. And you realize that in many ways you're isolated. In many ways you're disconnected. And it's time to connect to the body of Christ. It's time to connect with others from different backgrounds. Begin to grow in your faith. And you just say, God, I've been spending too much time on the roof. And today I need that to change. If that's you, I just invite you to turn to God. Turn to God right now. Say, Lord, open up the right doors. Show me the right opportunities. Forgive me for falling into that pattern. God, would you renew my mind today? God, would you change the way I think today? God, would you transform me through a different way of thinking. I just give you invitation to do that now. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your church and for your power. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that really is building a beautiful family of faith here. Lord, I pray that you continue to connect us. I pray that you continue to diversify us. I pray that you continue to guide us into this vision of a church that looks like heaven. We exalt you. We know we're not there, but we're a people in process. And so we say yes to that process today in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.